You'll notice on your weekend handout on the inside flap, there's some blanks that you'll want to fill in, so please have something handy uh, with which to write. Also be opening your Bibles to the 27th chapter of the book of Acts. Yes, the next to last chapter in the book, which means this is the next to last lesson in this series. Acts chapter 27. Can you find your way there? It's right after Acts chapter seeing if you're listening, Acts chapter 26, and right before, you're so smart, Acts chapter 28, we can do this. Now with your finger holding your place in Acts 27, let's hold our Bibles up in the air. Thank you for repeating with me the prayer we pray as we study this book. Dear Lord, thank you for your wonderful acts. What you did then, would you do again? What you did through them, would you do through us? In Jesus' name, amen. On October 31st, 1991, an ocean gale battered the fishing village of Gloucester, Massachusetts. The no-name Northeaster left city streets awashed and seasoned sailors surprised. 30-foot waves slammed into the back shore and caught up in the storm on the Atlantic was a sword-fishing boat called the Andrea Gale. Two weeks into a North Atlantic expedition, this vessel and her crew felt the full force of this killer storm. By the same title, author Sebastian Junger called that a perfect storm. Not perfect in the sense that it was ideal, but that it was the perfect coalescing of a variety of elements that worked together to create the perfect storm. 
Hurricane Grace was marching across the Atlantic at 80 miles an hour. She would have slammed into the Carolinas, except out of the north, a cold front came and pushed her up into the northern Atlantic. Andrea Gale, the ship, would have long since returned for the port at Gloucester, except for the fact that the captain needed the money, needed the fish, needed the work. And for whatever reason, he failed to report his location. So all of these elements came together in this perfect combination that resulted in the death of the captain and the crew. Perfect storm. Of course, you don't have to live off the coast or, or on the coast of New England to experience one, do you? Uh, you've felt a perfect storm. You've felt that perfect combination of factors all coming in at one time individually they're faceable but collectively they're formidable all you need is a, a layoff and a recession or a job dismissal and a sick spouse or a uh, college rejection and a boyfriend breakup I mean it's one thing to handle one thing but to handle two, to handle three, every so often you find yourself in a perfect storm. Now you may not be in one today, but we've all been around the block long enough to know they come, right? Or you may very well be in one. And if so, I've got some good news for you. You will survive this storm. You will. You will survive this storm. And I base my encouragement upon one of the greatest storm narratives, not just in the Bible, but in all of ancient literature. The story of the Apostle Paul and his journey across the Mediterranean Sea. It's in Acts chapter 27. And where we last left Paul, although we did have to skip a couple of chapters... He was in Caesarea under the protection of the Romans because the Jerusalemites were angry at him. Well, in these intervening couple of years, he's tried to appeal his case. And finally, because he is a Roman citizen, he has been granted an audience with Caesar in Rome. So he is loaded onto a vessel in the city of Caesarea, and he is destined for Italy. Luke traveled with him, as did Aristarchus, who was a Christian from Thessalonica. Some prisoners were on the ship, presumably prisoners who were bound for the arenas of Rome. The ship enjoyed smooth sailing until they reached the city of Sidon. That's where they changed ships. And that's where they were loaded onto an Alexandrian grain ship. Important because... These ships were so large that they were cumbersome in the midst of waves. They could not sail into the wind. They were able to reach Sinaitis, but only with great difficulty. And from there they sailed south to the island of Crete, and they reached a port called Fair Haven. Now, Fair Haven was not fair on the eyes. The sailors didn't like Fair Haven. It came to have the name Fair Haven because some Chamber of Commerce president thought it would be a good name and attract tourism there. But it didn't work. But that was a joke. 
The sailors didn't want to stay in Fair Haven. They wanted to make it to Phoenix, not Arizona, but Phoenix on the island of Crete before winter hit. They knew they couldn't make it to Italy, but if they could only make it as far as Phoenix. And so when the south wind began to blow, they decided to take their chances. Paul tried to convince them not to go. Now Paul was quite possibly the most seasoned seafarer on the boat. Yes, this, this rabbi from Jerusalem. He had by this point taken 12 trips across the Mediterranean. He had logged 3,500 miles on the Mediterranean Sea. He, may know, he, he quite possibly knew more about the Mediterranean Sea than anybody on the boat. He knew what it was like to sail across the Mediterranean Sea in the winter. And he knew better. And he tried to convince the sailors not to go, to stay in fair haven. But they didn't listen. Look what happens. Look in verse 14 of Acts chapter 27. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called a Euroclidon. Now, if you're using a more modern translation, it probably says called a northeaster. I just kind of like the sound of that word, though, called a Euroclidon. That's what they called them in the first century. It was a combination of two words, two Latin words, Euroaquilo, east and north. The coming together of two winds, that's why we call it a northeaster. It came out of the northeast and it barreled down like a, like a rifle upon the Mediterranean Sea and it churned up the water. The temperature dropped, the sails banged, the waves frothed. The sailors looked for land and they couldn't see it. They looked at the storm and they couldn't miss it. And did they understand it? They were in the middle of a perfect storm. Everything was happening at one time. The Mediterranean winter, the northeastern winds, a cumbersome Egyptian boat, impatient sailors. Just one of those would have been tough enough. But when they all hit at one time, the result was a perfect storm. So they did everything they could. As you read further in the text, you see that they, they hoisted the lifeboat, they frapped the vessel, they lowered a sea anchor, they jettisoned cargo, they threw equipment overboard, but nothing worked. And by the time you get down to verse 20, well, the verse reads like a death sentence. Look what Luke says in verse 20. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. The perfect storm took its toll, didn't it? We later read that this storm lasted, that they were in this storm for 14 days. Raise your hand if you've ever been on a sea bouncing in a storm for 14 days. I haven't either. 14 minutes would get to me. 14 days of rising toward the heavens and plunging toward the watery grave. Over and over, starless nights. Sunless days, gray clouds, whipping winds. They lost their appetite. They lost their hope. And finally, when they gave up, the Apostle Paul spoke up. 
verses 22, I'm sorry, 21 through 25. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. <laughs> and have not sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. Now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Take heart, men, for I believe that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. What a contrast. The mariners are supposed to be men of courage or afraid. Sorry, there goes my water. And Paul, who's supposed to be an inexperienced sailor, is the one giving out courage. And the sailors are the ones who receive courage from the rabbi. What did Paul know that they didn't know? Better asked. What does Paul teach us that we need to know? If you're in a Northeaster, if you're facing a Euroclidon, maybe Paul has something to say to you. Maybe you, like the sailors, have done everything you can think of. You've frapped the boat. You've weighed the anchor. You've tightened your ship. You've lowered the anchor. You've lowered the sails. You've raised the sails. You've tried every possible solution. You've consulted the bank. You've changed your diet. You've called the lawyers. You've spoken to your boss. You've tightened your budget. You've gone in for counseling, rehab, or therapy. Yet the waves still bounce and the winds still blow. I'm wondering if God might have some advice for you here. Would you be willing to receive what the sailors received from Paul? Here it comes. First, a rebuke. Men, Paul said, you should have listened to me. We don't like to be rebuked. We don't like to be corrected. We don't like to be chastened. But when we ignore God, a scolding is in order. Some of you are in the middle of storms that you didn't create. So this doesn't apply to you. Others of us find ourselves in the midst of storms that we did create. If only we'd paid attention. Part of God's healing, now please hear this. It's not fun. But that's not important. Part of God's healing is a rebuke. It's just part of it. Acknowledging that what we did was wrong. He told us this would happen, didn't he? He told you this would happen. And you need to let God say to you, I told you. Not in a belittling or condescending fashion, but in a fatherly fashion. Just like a loving father disciplines his child, we need to allow God to discipline us. He told you. He told you that sex outside of marriage would result in chaos. But you didn't listen. He told you that a borrower is a slave to the lender. 
but you took on that dangerous debt. He told you to cherish your spouse and nourish your kids, but you cherished your career and you nourished your vices. He cautioned you about the wrong crowd, the strong drink, and the long hours. And now you're in a storm of your own making. And God's rescue, well, it involves a rebuke. He corrects those whom he loves. So please, stand corrected. Just stand corrected. Don't thicken your neck or thicken your skull or walk away in a huff. That doesn't solve things. You know, the really, the only ultimate mistake is the, make, is the mistake from which we learn nothing. The only real mistake in life is the mistake from which we learn nothing. So learn something. Stand corrected. Resolve to do better next time. Repent. Turn away from the wrong path. Step onto the right path. Paul was kind enough to offer the sailors a gentle rebuke. So is God. You should have listened to me. But then he follows the rebuke with three words of affirmation. Three words of courage. Three reasons to have faith. Reason number one, you are not alone. Verse 23, Paul said, There stood by me this night an angel. On the deck of a sinking ship in a raging storm, Paul received a visitor from heaven. The angel came and stood beside him. I wonder if Paul's getting used to this by now. Because something similar happened to him in Corinth. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Keep speaking and do not be silent. I am with you. And then in the protective custody of the, of the, of the Roman authorities, Jesus said, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify for me in Rome. And now here, west of the island of Crete, with mountains of water on both sides, an angel boards the boat. Paul is not alone. Listen, you are not, you're not alone. You're never alone. When you go into a cemetery, you're not alone. When you step into the emergency room, you're not alone. When you find yourself on the other side of the world, away from family and friends, you're not alone. You are surrounded by myriads and myriads of invisible angels who are there to watch over you and to protect you. And you are indwelt by the very Spirit of Jesus Christ that He deposited within you to protect you, to encourage you, to comfort you, and yes, to seal you until the day of redemption. You are not alone. You are not alone because crowds and clouds of heavenly witnesses, saints who have gone before, are watching us as we journey through life, and they are cheering us toward the finish line. You are not alone. It may feel that way, but you are never alone. So you will survive this storm. You will survive this storm for a second reason. And that is this. You belong to God. You have been bought with a price. You are no longer your own. The Apostle Paul said, For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong. To whom I belong. When I was a kid, my brother and I got away from my mother in a grocery store and we went running down the aisles and we knocked over this big display of honey. Broke glass, made a mess. And the manager of the grocery store took me in one hand and my brother in the other and he walked up down the aisle and said, 
Who owns these kids? Boy, did my mother run. <laughs> to whom do you belong? God says, I, they belong to me. Take kids to a camp. You know how you have to sign a registration form. And, and one of the statements is, responsible party. Who's responsible for this kid? If, if, if Susie gets the measles, if Tommy breaks his arm, who's going to be held responsible? When you gave your heart to Christ, God signed on that dotted line. He's responsible. You belong to Him. That's good news, isn't it? You are His sheep, and He is your shepherd. And He says, I am the good shepherd, and my sheep know me. He's not a wayward shepherd. He's a good shepherd. You belong to Him. You are a bride and and he is your bridegroom and the church is being prepared as a bride adorned for her husband you belong to him you're his child he's your father you're no longer a slave but God's own child and since you are his child everything he has belongs to you that's why you can be sure that you will survive this storm not because you're strong enough but because God is you belong to him and one more reason you'll survive this storm is the fact that you are in the Lord's service. You're in the Lord's service. Paul said, there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. And his service wasn't finished yet. He had been given the assignment of going to Rome and appealing to Caesar. And so all Paul had to do was look around and say, well, I'm not in Rome and I haven't made it to the Caesar's court yet. So it's not my time. He was still in the Lord's service. It would be nice if we all had such a clear itinerary ourselves, like Paul had. Most of us don't. But we can be sure of this, that we will not live a day longer or a day less than God intended for us to live to complete our service. To complete our service. If God has worked for you to do, he will keep you alive so you can do it. Simple as that. David said, all the days planned for me were written in your book before I was one day old. No life is too long or too short. I know that sometimes we talk about someone who died a premature death or an early death, but they didn't. Everyone lives exactly the number of days that have been determined by God long before this earth was created. So of all the things you're worried about, don't add to it the worry of dying too soon. You won't. Your concern is filling your day with life, not filling your life with days. You will live as long as God ordained. Just make certain that you fill those days with service. And you will live exactly however many days God intended for you to live. You will survive this storm. You will. I'm not saying you won't have any more problems in this storm. And don't believe anybody who ever says that to you. Because this life has problems. Paul didn't say that. Look at verses 25 and 26. He said, therefore take heart, men. For I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Now, I know that didn't sound funny the day Paul said it in the storm. 
But it sure sounds funny to me as I read it. Because Paul says, we're going to make it through this. We belong to God. He has work for us to do. Oh, one more thing. We've got to wreck this ship first. We've got to go through some more challenges. God is going to be with us, but just prepare yourself. We're going to wreck the ship first. So please hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you won't have any more problems. You will survive this storm, but you may have to go through a job dismissal first. You may have to lose some health first. You may run out of money first. You, you may have to bury a loved one first. You, you may go bankrupt first. There, there may be some challenges on the road, but don't be discouraged. In this world, you will have trouble, but be brave, Jesus said. Be brave, because I have overcome the world. Folks, life comes with storms. It does. Turbulence turns this world into typhoons, and northeasters bear down on us, but they will not last forever. God is my helper, I say to you, that our king will someday still this trouble. He will quieten these gusts. He will silence these gales. He is the chief commander of the storm. And because you belong to him, you will survive the storm. But what if you don't belong to him? What if you don't? What if you've never called on Christ to be your Savior? What if you've never called on God to be your Father? What if there in your personal biography is not a moment in which you have said, Lord, would you save me? If that is the case, then you have reason to be afraid. You do. All things work together for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. But if you're not trying to follow his purpose, and if you do not love him, then you need to be afraid, quite honestly. Because you're facing this storm all by yourself. You're facing the storm without his help. You're facing his storm, this storm without any protection, without anybody coming up beside you, anybody going ahead of you. He's trying to get your attention. If you'll just listen. And all of that can change this very day. If you'll simply say to him, I'm going to let you be the captain of my ship now. I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to ask you to save me from my sin, defeat me from my death, and protect me for the remainder of this life and take me into the eternal life for which I've been prepared. That decision is up to you. And you can accept that invitation today. And what he says to you is exactly what he said to Paul. And he issues to you words like this. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Would you accept that offer? If you've already accepted it before, accept it again. And if you've never accepted it, please, for heaven's sake, accept it. You may be facing a perfect storm, but he is the perfect Savior to lead you through it.